So, has everybody finished their shopping? Well, I haven't. Um, you know, one of the dangers of Amazon is that you you don't have to actually do anything in order to shop, and so it can it can lull you into a sense of security right up to the point where where now nothing can be delivered on time, and and then and then you've got to decide: Do I give them a card with a little you know coming soon thing, or do you? Join people like me at Walgreens on Christmas Eve afternoon, looking for that perfect something. So, um, so uh, we have that choice uh, because of Amazon. Um, and it, uh, today's reading—I I mentioned this because today's reading tells us who to blame for the whole tradition of Christmas gift giving. So it is these magi. Um, and, and by the way, just just on that subject, since I'm kind of uh, uh, complaining, I will say: can, can we all agree that gift is not a verb? Okay, that you can't gift somebody. You give things to people. You don't gift them. I will accept re-gift, right? If you got a piece of something last year and you want to get rid of it, you can re-gift. But, but gift is not a verb. So, so let's just all agree on that and, and hopefully it'll go away. But, but our reading today is the place where we get the idea of, of, um, giving Christmas gifts. The, the tradition comes out of this passage with the, uh, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that the, the Magi bring to Jesus. Um, but it's interesting that, that, um, that, uh, you know, even though it's a Christian, uh, it is a Christian thing, probably at least as many non-Christians exchange gifts at Christmas time as Christians. It's just something that, that our whole culture pretty much does. Um, and, and, um, I think that's great. You know, the more the merrier, the more people who are exchanging gifts, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but it illustrates that this is not really the heart of the story. I mean, yes, that's the most obvious thing that came out of the story, but it's not the heart of the story. And um, the heart of the story uh, uh, can't, it, it can't be the heart of the story because the tradition of gift giving really only goes back a couple of centuries. Prior to that, crabby church leaders like me suppressed it. When people tried to give gifts at Christmas, the church people would say, no, don't do that. So, so, um, some, and then we stopped and now look. So, um, so, uh, or we lost control. Anyway, for whatever reason, now we give gifts at Christmas and it's pretty common now, but, but it's not the heart of the story because it wasn't something that people did. The, the, the heart of the story is something that people have been doing for the last 2000 years. Ever since the time of Christ, people have been doing it and, um, it will go on happening until Christ returns. So that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at this story to see what the real heart of the story is. And the one thing it has in common with gift giving is you don't have to be a Christian to do it. It, it is still applicable to you even if you're not a Christian. So if you're just here today and you're not sure what you think about Christians or about the Bible or Jesus or anything else, you just came because somebody dragged you here, um, that's okay because there's something in here for you too. So so what I want to do is I want to look at this um, passage. We've, we've been in this conversation uh, called uh, Holiday Travelers, and uh, last week we saw that um, the, the big idea is that a lot of people travel at Christmas time. A lot of us travel, and a lot of people in the Bible travel at Christmas time. So that's what we're looking at. And last week we saw the angel Gabriel traveled to to uh, see Ze- Zechariah and tell him about the impending birth of his son, who would become John the Baptist. And today we're going to look at um, these magi. They came traveling um, from even further. So in verse 1 we read, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod. So Matthew is locating this kind of like the way Luke did uh, last week where he said it happened during the time of 
King Herod, Herod is ruling the region of Judea. This is not just some, some story once upon a time. It's not something, you know, in the dim mists of time. It's located in a particular time and place. So, so he says, this happened after Jesus was born. Last week we looked at a passage that happened before Jesus was born, and now we're looking at one that happened afterwards. We don't know how, how much later, but sometime after Jesus was born, um, and because of some things later in the passage, uh, later in the, in the chapter, uh, suggestions are that it was probably within two years. Uh, the one hint in our reading is that when the Magi come into the, the house, they see not, a, not an infant, but a child. So does that tell us much? Probably I wouldn't want to lean a lot on that, but it does suggest maybe uh, this has been some time now. So, <clears throat> so Magi come from the East. So who are Magi? Well, you know, in traditionally in, in our Christmas songs and so forth, they are the three kings or the three wise men. Uh, but uh, Matthew doesn't tell us how many there are. He just says that some of them came from the East, and um, he says that they're Magi. So what are Magi? Well, probably a, a good way for us to understand what a Magi is is it's a psychic. Okay, they aren't psychics, right? They're nothing to do with psychics. But, you know, people have different opinions about psychics. Some people think that they are legitimately um, able to tap into to things in the in the spirit world, and some people say they're frauds. And that was exactly the way people in the ancient world looked at magi. Some of them said, you guys are scholars, and you, you've studied things, and you can tell things, um, and others said you're frauds. So, so they had a reputation. What they actually were originally was they were part of a priestly caste in Persia. And uh, they didn't all stay in Persia. Some of them went around, and some of them probably were, were frauds. These guys don't appear to be frauds. Uh, they're going to a lot of effort if they are. So, um, and, and they're the ones giving away the gold. So, um, so they they are probably not frauds. But it was something where people knew knew something about um, magi, but they didn't know a lot. So they had the word. Um, it's actually where our word mag- magician comes from. So um, these magi come from the east. So where did they come from? Well, they might have come from Persia. They might have come from someplace else in the Fertile Crescent because there's really nothing east of the Holy Land except a desert. So they would have gone up the Fertile Crescent and, and uh, then uh, from the east. Uh, they might have come from further away. They might have come from India or China. We don't know. All Matthew says is they came from the east. So these magi have come uh, a long distance. Even if they came from, from the Fertile Crescent, that would have probably been about a 600-mile trip, about two months' worth of walking and uh, riding a camel. So they've come quite a distance, and they arrive in Jerusalem, and they ask where is the newborn king of the Jews? So they're looking for a, a, a newborn king, and they say the reason is because we've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. So that's their purpose. They've now announced it. We don't know who all they asked this question of. Maybe they were just walking around the streets saying, does anyone know where the new king is? But somehow or other, Herod finds out. And Herod is, is on, on the one hand, Herod's the right person to answer that question. On the other hand, he's the wrong person to answer because Herod is um, a bad person. He's, he's known to history as Herod the Great, but not Herod the Nice. So Herod is famously, uh, according to contemporary accounts, Herod is famously um, paranoid. By this time, he has killed one of his wives and two of his sons because he thought they were plotting to become king. So, so this is exactly the wrong question to ask Herod. It's like, hey, did you know you've been replaced? And, and he goes, no, I did not know that. So Herod is troubled, and when Herod is troubled, again, he is not Herod the nice. So um, 
So everyone in Jerusalem is troubled along with him. So the, the question is, um, where is he? Uh, where is this new king? And so he gathers all the chief priests and the legal experts and asks them where the Christ was to be born. So the chief priests and the legal experts, probably he didn't gather them all together. Again, knowing what we know about Herod, he probably gathered them separately so he could compare their answers because he was paranoid. And so, um, you know, they might be trying to hide where the, where the king is. So, so they both agree that it's in Bethlehem of Judea. And they quote the prophet Micah, You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. So a couple of weeks we talked about how shepherding is another word for, for king, but in particular, uh, the king, the, the king who would be like David, the Messiah that God had promised. So they're saying, yeah, that's, that's who this king must be that these guys are looking for, this king that God had promised. And so... When Herod hears this, he calls for the Magi and finds out from them the time when the star had first appeared. And then he sends them to Bethlehem and he says, go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. Well, we know from later in the chapter, he's got no intention of honoring him, uh, but uh, maybe building a nice tomb, <laughs> but but he's got no intention of honoring him. And um, he, he uh, again, from historical accounts, we know that Herod was fond of using undercover agents. So he is kind of enlisting these magi, go be my undercover agents um, and find out where this king is and I'll deal with him. So um, so they, they heard the king and they go and sure enough, the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. So we don't know how diligently they looked because the star is back. The star is showing them exactly where they need to go. And as a result, when they see the star, they were filled with joy. The, the language here is, is, is really fun. It says, it says, they rejoiced a great joy, with a great joy exceedingly. So they're thrilled. They're absolutely delighted to see the, the star again. And so then they enter the house, they see the child, they fall to their knees, they honor him, and then the, the presents, right? They open their treasure chests and present him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, that's where we get the story. And then they don't go back to Herod, right? They, they take a different route because they're warned in a dream not to. So, so that is the story. That's where the idea of giving gifts come from. But I said that there's something else that we can get from this that's not, that's more central to the story than, than the giving of gifts. And it, it, it to understand this, the, the question we really need to ask is why were the Magi, why were the Magi looking for the king of the Jews. There we go. All right. So um, so why were they looking for the king of the Jews? Was it because they were Jews? No, they were not Jews, right? They didn't know anything about Jewish prophecy or Jewish kings or anything, right? They're from the East. They're Magi. They might have heard, you know, there's a country over there called Judea, but they don't know anything about it, right? They don't know what, what to expect. They go there um, not because they are Jews or because they're familiar with Jewish prophecy. They go because they are astrologers, and they have seen something in the, in the sky. They've seen something that tells them there is a king who's been born in that country over there in the West. And the fact that they are astrologers is actually uh, evidence that they are not Jews because the, the Old Testament law specifically prohibits Jews from practicing astrology. So, so we know that they are not Jews. They didn't go because, because they thought God wanted them to go. They went because they thought the stars wanted them to go. 
They went because they encountered God in their everyday, their their day-to-day life, or because they're astrologers, probably their night-to-night life. They, they encountered God there, and God met them in that place. God met them where they were. Literally, he met them in the east someplace, wherever that was. He met them in a geographical place somewhere else than the Holy Land. But he also met them in what they did. He met them in their their job as astrologers, people who studied the stars looking for signs. And that's where God met them. And that's, that's the part that is applicable to us today, every bit as much as gifts, because God still meets people in their everyday. God found those magi precious, and so he drew them toward Christ. And God still does that today. God meets people in their everyday lives and draws them to Christ. So what does that look like for us? Well, you know, I assume none of us are out at night studying the stars for signs. Um, it's a bad place to live if you want to look, do a lot of stargazing, but um, it's always cloudy. But, but um, uh, that's probably not us, but, but what is your life like? What, what are the things that would surprise you? If something occurred in your life, what would, what would surprise you? Because that may be God at work. God may be telling you something, saying, you know, hey, pay attention here. This is different than you expected. Maybe it's something that troubles you. Maybe it's something that makes you um, uh, happy. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's um, uh, Walter Brueggemann, the, the um, theologian Walter Brueggemann. He says, pay attention to unexpected tears. That if something suddenly causes you to tear up, that may be a place where God is actually meeting you in the day-to-day because God doesn't just meet people in churches. Um, so so in your day-to-day, now if you're a Christian, maybe your day-to-day includes praying and reading the Bible and coming to church. So maybe God meets you here. But for a lot of people, God is going to meet them out where he met the Magi, out in their day-to-day and showed them something that was puzzling or somehow attracted them. And they said, I have to go check that out. And then off they went. So the first thing is, is, um, is uh, what were they looking for? And the second one is, how did they respond? Because it's not enough to simply have your curiosity tickled. You actually have to respond, right? The, the Magi had to get up out of wherever they were, hire some camels, load them up with gold and frankincense and myrrh, and then head west. They had to go probably at least 600 miles um, that's a two-month journey. That's a long... Uh, they had to respond. And and so the, the second thing we can look at here is, is if we have encountered God, or if we do encounter God, is it going to change our trajectory? Is Are we going to let God actually move us from where we were to where he wants us to be? Because the, the Magi were so intrigued by this star that they had to follow up on it. And it's it's remarkable. In this passage, they've come 600 miles. Maybe they've come further, but they've certainly come 600 miles. They get to Jerusalem, and they, they say, where's the where's the, the Christ going to be born? And the answer comes back, Bethlehem. Over there. Six miles away. It's like if, if, if somebody came to this church and said, where's Jesus going to be born? And I said, just this side of the Performing Arts Center. Right? That's how close Bethlehem is. Well, that, it's 5.2 miles in a straight line. So a little longer by car. So 
So it's no distance at all, right? And the Magi, you know, if you've come 600 miles and somebody says, says, oh, it's six miles over there, would you say, oh, that's it, too far, I'm done, I'm going back home? No, of course, nothing could stop you from going, right? Of course you're going to go. But think about the chief priests and the legal experts, right? These strangers show up from out of town and they say, they say, hey, where's that new king? And you say, the one in Micah? And they say, I guess that's the one. And you don't say, well, let me tag along, right? These guys have invested so much in coming here to see this new king. And you're not curious enough to even say, hey, can I come along with you? It, it's, it's remarkable that some people respond when God draws them. Some people respond and some people don't. And so the question for us is, has our trajectory changed? Are we where we were? And we know some things that God is, is doing, but that's it. Or is it changing our trajectory? Something for us to consider as we move toward Christmas. And I will just add this last thing, you know, because I don't know what God might be drawing you toward, right? I know it's Christ, but I don't know with any specificity what that might look like for you. But there's an interesting thing in this passage. If we read it closely, it says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy, right? They haven't met Jesus yet, right? They're still on their way to Jesus, but they rejoiced with a great joy exceedingly. So if you respond, I think what, what, what we learn here is that even just responding to what God is doing, as we move toward Christ, we will find joy, great joy, great joy exceedingly. So why did they go? Because God found them precious and wanted to draw them to Christ. But they had to actually go. They had to let God change their trajectory. And when they did, they rejoiced with a great joy exceedingly. Let's be like the Magi. Heavenly Father, open our eyes. Help us to see the things that you do in this world to attract people to Christ. Help us to to be paying enough attention that when you do something startling or you do something that troubles us, when you bring unexpected tears to our eyes, Lord, help us to, to notice. And then, God, give us the courage to actually respond, to let you draw us from where we were to where you want us to be so that we can be closer to Christ and rejoice in it. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.